Okay, grab your Bibles with me for a moment. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 39. Also Matthew chapter 16 and verse 25. There's also Mark chapter 8, verse 35. I need you to be in Luke chapter 9, 24. Also Luke 17, 33 and John chapter 12 and verse 25. Actually, I'll save you a little bit of time. This is what they all say. When you lose your life, you gain it. And when you try to save your life, you lose it. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today when it comes to this concept of covenant and how that fits into our covenant world. First of all, I need to tell you that is the most oft repeated scripture in the entire Bible. And so how many of you would think God has got a stuttering problem and he just repeats unnecessarily? Is anybody in here that thinks that? How many of you think God is trying to create a bit of emphasis when he says, if this is the most often repeated verse, it needs, it's important. And so we're going to take a look at it because I feel like there's, um, and we're going to discuss a little bit of this today. Sometimes things can be so extreme in our interpretation of what those things are that we kind of ignore them. You know, it's, well, that would be nice. You know, somebody should. But the concept of give it all up and lose your life is perhaps something that you'll consider is for a very, very few. Perhaps those that are called to martyrdom if there is such a thing or whatever. And so what we do with it instead is we kind of read over it very nice, but we don't pay really that much attention because we know it is, for the most part, unattainable. And so really we shouldn't try to aim ourselves down that road because no matter what we do, we will not get there. There won't ever be enough for me to, to lose my life for God in that sense. Do you, understand what, do you understand what I'm trying to get to there? Your soul's, your soul's inability to really take hold of it and say, if this is so important that God would repeat it six times verbatim, then obviously it's important to me in my life, but because of its extreme nature, I'll sort of put it off in the back shelf saying, yeah, that's, that, that's not for me. I'm not looking to die for Jesus in the sense of, come on up here, I'll slit all your throats and then we'll all be great people, right? The, I'm, I'm suspecting the, lo- the line would be a bit on the short side because it's, a hard, it's hard for us to be able to connect to it. How many of you say, yeah, that's kind of good? It's, although we love to you know, exalt it, maybe you have a tattoo that says that on you, but I don't know that most people have been able to understand this is actually what God is talking about here. Okay, and we're going to discuss a little bit of that today so that we can bring some context to it in each one of our lives. And so turn with me actually now into Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, we're going to revisit this fellow again because his story, the rich young ruler's story, kind of empowers us to tie a whole bunch of things together and understand that when, that when we are talking about them, perhaps there's some very minor variances and differences between some of the terms that are being used. But when Jesus refers to them in this discussion that he's having now with the rich young ruler, he uses a lot of these terms. uh, uh, What's the word where you kind of replace one term with another term? You interchangeably, right? It goes from here to here to here to here. So he's saying this equals this, which equals this, which equals this. Because I'm using them interchangeably in this, as he's having this discourse Right, and so when I say, you know, bring me fruit, bring me apple, bring me orange, they're all kinds. They're pretty much all the same thing because I've used them interchangeably like that. And that's what God is trying to do here. At least when Jesus is having this discussion with the rich young ruler, he's kind of doing it in that framework. So, are you in Matthew chapter 19? Yes. 
Am I the only one in the room that isn't, as a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 19? Okay, so here we are. We're visiting with him. Um, I'll just read the whole thing. And behold, one came unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, why callest me thou good? For none is good but one. We're going to get to that later, that, that very concept, but not today. Uh, that is God. And if thou wilt enter into life, uh, keep the commandments. So basically he's saying, you know, if you want life, keep the commandments. Did Jesus build, believe in the Old Testament? Does anybody can tell if Jesus believed in the Old Testament? Yes, he did. And he said unto them, Jesus, and he said unto them, which one? And Jesus said, well, that don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor thy mother and your father, love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man said unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth, and what lack I yet? And Jesus said, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. So let's take a look now. Remember, the rich young ruler came to Jesus asking him that I might inherit or I might have eternal life. And now the history, the, the way Christianity has been built since really from way back in the very beginning, this concept of eternal life meant that I was going to go to heaven when I die. And... Um, I'll challenge that interpretation because the two words here, aionios, zoe, one, the word aionios is the word that refers to without beginning or end. It's not really life without end. It is life without a beginning and without an end. And so first of all, it's talking about something other than I get to live forever. At least that's not the complete picture. <clears throat> I think more of what is going on here, and I'll share one more tidbit of it, is that what, what the rich young ruler, this rich man who exists in the culture of the time, who has everything that life has to offer him, but he knows that when he sees Jesus, he sees something in his life that the rich man does not have. Though he has everything else or everything that the world would say, this is what's going to make your life satisfied. This is what's going to make you happy. He could see that in Jesus's life, Jesus was demonstrating something otherworldly. And that's what I think he was trying to refer to, this, you're, you're experiencing life that is outside the dimensions that we know about in this world. Because I'm sure he had been watching him for a while. He was watching what Jesus, this is Matthew chapter 19 now, it's kind of well into the story. And he was watching Jesus in his abilities and his attitudes and his perspectives towards all kinds of different things towards the rulers of the day, towards disease, towards financial things, towards, it doesn't, didn't, anything, nothing bothered Jesus. He just came into every situation and just overcame it yeah. at will. Now to a person like the rich young ruler, he, you're watching a person who says, well, that's why I amassed my fortune and that's why I have servants and slaves. That's why I have all this power. That's why I have all my network, but I can't operate like you operate because I need all of my money. I need all of my connections. I need all of my servants. I need all of my stuff. If I get rid of all of that, everything, in me, everything of me, myself, disappears. I don't have those stuff anymore. He was looking at Jesus who apparently didn't have any of those things, but he was able to live, as he's describing it here, this Ionios Zoe. He's saying the life you have comes from another dimension. Yeah is kind of what he's saying, even though that sounds a little B-movie kind of sounding. <clears throat> they were saying, I never seen anybody operate like you in this world. You have something that's not from around here. 
that doesn't come from the local store. And he says, how might I have that? Now, interesting what Jesus' answer was to the rich young ruler. He who says, we know, follow the Ten Commandments. So we know that the law, be doing things in God's way, that's what the Ten Commandments are. They're not as much, even though they are rules, right? Um, they, they are God's perspective. They're God's right way of doing things. And so he says, you ought to do stuff, some, some stuff right if you want to have a good life. And he says, yeah, I did, I did all that stuff, and I've been that way since a youth. You know, probably he didn't, but let's say that he wanted to, you know, put the, put the mask up. And what was Jesus' answer to him? He says, because I did all of those things, but I'm still not living life like you're living it. And so the, the, the answer that he gives to the rich young ruler is go sell all that you have. And that's kind of one of the places, the same as lose your life, you'll gain it. So if you give, so let's, let's just, let's put this properly into context. So what Jesus is saying to, to not only to the rich young ruler, but to every single one of us, if you want to be, uh, and, and uh, let me put the end of it first, he equates then in the end of it, he says, uh, once the rich young ruler has left sorrowfully, he turns back to his disciples and says, it's very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Oh, I thought he was asking for eternal life. Jesus equates then this eternal life thing with entering the kingdom, which becomes super scary for each one of us. Because if you listen to the, of what's in Jesus's mind here, he's saying, unless you are willing to give away, give up, give everything you have, you cannot enter the kingdom. (laughs) There's the problem. And thinking it through now, before you get freaked out that I'm taking up another offering, the, <laughs> I, I need you to think it through because Jesus was not a knucklehead. He was not extreme. He was not exaggerating. There is a way to understand what it is that Jesus is saying here. Can we agree, at least for the moment, that he did not want, they will know we are Christians because we're all wandering around naked on the streets. Can we all agree that that's not what he wanted? Can you look at your neighbor and say, that's definitely not what he wanted? (laughs) So we can agree that that would not be a good interpretation for me to give away everything I have, including my underwear, and I can wander the streets naked is what God had intended me to do. And so then calm your mind down because if it isn't that, and I think we can all agree that it isn't that, it is something else. Because this concept is very much a concept of the New Testament and very much something that Jesus taught all the time. As you might be familiar to the disciples now, turn over to Matthew chapter 13. When the disciples heard this, we're in 19. So when the disciples heard him talking to the rich young ruler and he says to the rich young ruler, give away all that you have, His disciples, all the guys that are behind, if you've seen any of these things in the movies, all the 12 or whatever they are, there's probably hundreds by now, but there's a whole bunch of people that are behind him that have been hanging around Jesus for a while, listening to the things that Jesus is saying. And this whole concept of give away all that you have, they're thinking, oh, I I heard, I have heard that before. And so here in Matthew chapter 13, now Matthew chapter 13, as many of you know, is one of my if I got a tattoo, it would be one of the things that I would get. I would not get it, but if I, anyways. And so, 
Matthew chapter 13 is when we have all of these references that Jesus is making that the kingdom of God is likened unto a. He talk, the parable of the sower is here. The parable of the wheat and the tares is here. All of those things are here. Many of them are here in Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. But I want to draw your attention then to a couple of them. If you go to verse 44, let me read it, read it to you here. Again, the kingdom of God is likened unto a treasure hidden in a field, which when a man has found it, he hides it, and for the joy thereof goes and sells all that he has. Again, we're in this thing. And what does he do with it? He buys the field. Look a little further down there in verse 45. Again, the kingdom of God is likened unto a merchant seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one of great price, went and, anybody? Sold all that he had and he bought it. This concept of selling all that you have to get something else is a very central biblical theme. And it has confounded Christianity as I look for the history of how is this stuff interpreted historically? How have we as Christians through our fathers, how have we dealt with this, what appears to be a terrible conundrum? Because obviously there's no, there's, there aren't a bunch of people wandering naked on the streets right now, so we must be dealing with it somehow. And so the best that I could come up with is, and I'm going to freak you out here with a big, huge word. If you write this word down, super erogere. Now that's a Latin word, if you're wondering on the nature of it. And made up of two words. One is super, which is above or beyond. And the other one is erogere, which means to pay the price for something. And so we have determined that all of these kind of stories that Jesus has been talking about are really super erogere type of concepts, which means they're above and beyond what's actually being asked of you. You don't really have to pay this price, but if you'd like to pay the price, there will be a reward for it, but you're not required to pay the price. And so what we've done is we have taken these concepts of Jesus, which are, there are many, just in the gospels, this whole sell all that you have, give it all away, lose your life to gain it, all of these type of things are uh, what I would consider them a central theme of the New Testament. <clears throat> so how do we get it? How do we not be, or how do we maybe look at it, let's try and interpret it perhaps from a different perspective, a perspective that helps us to understand how do we not end up naked on the street, but we do end up following what Jesus is asking us to follow. How many of you say, let's, take a f let's go wander around this for a while so that we can get the right perspective toward what obviously appears to be an extraordinarily important matter. And so when Jesus talked to the rich young ruler, we can tell that he was not talking about eternal life because the rich young ruler went away sad. Now, remember, he's young. And so if all he was looking for, for was life after death, then he would not have gone away sad. If I was him, I would have said, would you take a post-dated check? Because I got lots of time, right? I can, that's okay. If that's what I need to do, give away all that I have, I'll do that. You know, give me a call about a month before I'm gonna go and I'll give it all away. What do I care? And that'll get me into heaven. I'm good. It's not gonna cost me anything. He went away sad because Jesus wasn't talking about something 
that was going to be 40 years into the future of that man's life. He was talking about something accessible right now. I want what you have right now. I want to access this otherworldly life that I clearly can see that you are accessing, and I want it now. Does that make some sense? Right, to, to open up so that we can dig through this and find what needs to be found. And so I'm gonna bring you to another scripture because I think we're gonna be able to make some sense out of it here and we'll all be able to step into this next point that I have once we're done with Luke chapter nine. So go, the, go ahead and go to Luke chapter nine with me for a moment. And we have this same kind of a discourse. You know, people think that Jesus was always loving and kind and he was so easy to get along with. Can I tell you something? That was not... That's, that's movies. Jesus was often very challenging. He was very hard to get along with sometimes. And so we'll take a look at that here. And he says, this fellow comes up to him and said, Lord, in verse 57, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury the dead. That was, that's nice, eh? <laughs> but go thou and preach the kingdom of God instead. And another said to him, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go bid farewell to them which are at my house, my girlfriend, my dog, my horse. And he says, no, having put your hand to a plow and looking back, that no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back, not going back, looking back. What's he saying? is not fit for the kingdom. These are, how many of you are saying, man, these are some seriously challenging stuff for the last Sunday of the year. <laughs> but I'm telling you, what we're going to discover today is that this stuff makes ridiculously good sense if you understand the context in which Jesus is referring to these things. Let me tell you a story. What would you think about me if I spent all my money and bought Tina a TV for Christmas? Spent all your money and bought her a TV. You would think I was great. Did I really give myself, did I really give away all that I had? What is it? The answer, because she knows one of, she's one of the people that know me best. They know that really, I wanted a TV. I used the giving it to Tina as the ruse of getting a new TV. Isn't that true? Did I or did I not, though, give away all that I had? Yeah. Yes, I did. You did. Because if she happened to leave me, which she would, of course, never do, she, took the, she would take the TV. It is her TV. But whenever she's watching it, guess what else is happening? I'm watching it, too. Is that right? When we understand this concept from the context of covenant, if God and I... Jesus and I, yes. if, if I am the wife and Jesus is the husband because of our covenant relationship together, when I give all that I have to him, who did I actually give it to? Yourself. Well, yes, myself, but myself has become a more complex being at this right. point, right. just like I am more complex than I used to be because now me is two people. I brought it into the covenant of which I am a joint heir of. Does that, do you understand that? And so now read on a bit, deeply into this one parable here, 
when he said to that person, let, let me, what's the person saying? Because it's a, such an important concept. Suffer me what? In verse 59, but he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. He said, suffer me first to go and say goodbye to all of my family and friends. You see, what the matter is, is that before the covenant, all of my stuff was intended, its primo purpose was to bless me. When you enter into a covenant, what happens with all of my life, my stuff, my intentions, my decisions, all of that now becomes subservient to Tina. So all of my stuff, in fact, I am losing it because I am, no longer is it my primary, it's not the, my life is not the primary importance anymore. Now, how my things serve the covenant become the matter that's important. So what, what Jesus is having issue with here is not that that person buried his father. It wasn't that he had a horse or a dog. It wasn't that he said goodbye. It was that he, the person needed to say goodbye first. And that is consistent then with, all, with many of the other scriptures that tell us to what? Seek first the kingdom of God. Does that mean you don't bathe? We cer- how many would say, I certainly hope not. Because it's not a matter of whether I look after my children or whether I wash my car or whether I play with my dog. What matters is, are they first? What I am doing when I give it all away, like for example, if you take a look now, let's wander through the, you know, because I've been through the rich young ruler's life so many times because I think the best person in the Bible that we relate to as as a culture is him. And so when we're challenged with things that are New Testament or that are part of our work in our lives following God, he's going to be the best example for us. Imagine if what was going through the rich young ruler's mind was his father, Abraham. When when, when the Lord came to Abraham and said to him, I need you to take your son Isaac up to the mountain and I need to sacrifice that boy. If that would have been going through the mind of the rich young ruler, not his stuff, he would have had a different response. He would have said, Jesus comes to him and said, sell all you have and you can have eternal life. And he goes, that's it? And he'd have turned around to his servants, which I'm sure were there. He's a rich dude. And he would have said, go, go get rid of it all. Because his mind would have been understanding that God was not intending that Abraham did kill his son. Yeah. Right. What was God intending? That he was going to find out if he, would. if he would. So the rich young ruler lost his spot as a disciple because Jesus said, follow me. That's what he said to the other disciples. So he says to him, all the rich young ruler needed to do was turn around and say, go get rid of it. At which point, I can almost promise, now I'm not going to, you can't use this as a little psychological tool on God, by the way, because he plays the game way better than you do. But for the most part, what was about to happen 
was Jesus would have said, okay, no, that's good. Just like God did to Abraham. God did not change his mind when he told Abraham, okay, that we don't, because God didn't change his mind. Uh, when God looks like he's changed his mind, you need to realize he's doing something that you didn't know he was doing. He did not change his mind. God always knows what he's doing. Uh, sometimes we don't know what he's doing. And so in this situation now, what was very likely to have happened, because all Jesus wanted him to, wanted to know about the rich young ruler was, would you do it first? Would you serve the kingdom of God first? And if you would do that, good, then you qualify. Because if it ever did come that Jesus says, okay, tell you guys to go sell everything because we need the cash, we already know the rich young ruler would have done that because he was ready to do it now. He was not challenged by the decision that my stuff isn't here to serve me anymore. My stuff is here to serve someone else. I'm going to follow him. So let's say he would have done that, sell all he had and give it to Jesus and all that. Then he would have eaten it the next morning in his bacon and eggs because he was going to follow Jesus. He was going to become part of the team. Does that make some sense? It's like you giving into the uh, tithes and offerings of this church. How many of you are freezing cold right now? Or the reason that you're not? Is because somebody paid to turn the heat on in here. And that's because we don't, I don't know if you didn't know this, but we don't put it in an envelope and send it to God. <laughs> right? Somebody has the coffee and somebody cleaned here and somebody put these lights up and those flowers right here, they're not supernaturally occurring. They got paid for. Yeah. Right? We enjoy all of what we spend our money on. We don't actually give it to anybody. Yeah. We buy our wives TVs and then we enjoy the TVs. Does that make some sense? You understand how this works? Okay, that's what's important. See, if I can understand that, now what I can do is say, okay, wait a minute, because I am actually ready to do that, right? I'm in this church. I do tithe. I do give. I do love my wife. I do buy Christmas. I do all of those because I really do like to do that. I don't really like to wander around the town naked, which is what would mean if I really got a hold of that scripture without a proper understanding. Or I super rogueray it and I don't really pay attention to it because I guess maybe somebody may be called to that, but not me. And what I'm able to do then is really grab on, like grab on so that I can see what comes after I really do do this scripture. Because what it seemed like Jesus was saying to the rich young ruler was that if you're not willing to do that, if I'm going to come into the covenant and I'm only going to be 50% in, I just want to keep two girlfriends on the side. I, not 10, just two. The answer is absolutely not. You can't come in almost all the way. That's, or if you do, I, mean, I think people do do that, but they're not going to get the benefit of the covenant. The synergy is not going to be there. The trust is not going to be there. The relation, all of the things that produce the reason you get into a covenant in the first place is not going to be there. Does that make some sense? Exactly the same thing that we're dealing with with God. God just wants to know, are you, do you understand that from now on, this is how the relationship is going to go? You have the mindset willingly, you're not being forced, you're not being coerced into it. That's one of the problems many of us in the congregation are going to deal with. So most of us, if we grew up in the church, 
So much of the church was, you know, run to the altar and it's peer pressure, run to the altar because mommy told you to, you know, repent because you're gonna get a swat in the head. You know, maybe your buddies went, maybe kids camp was all peer pressured into going there. Maybe somebody told you that you might get hit by a bus and you need to, you know, skip hell as quickly as you can. So it's fear motivated. Can I tell you something? You know, immature people, you know, three-year-olds are not allowed to enter covenants. Do you know why? Because they cannot understand the nature of the environment that they are in. If I force you to sign a contract and sell your car to me for a dollar, that contract is not enforceable. It has been given under duress. So there's so much of how we have run the kingdom in the past that is really morally unconscionable and certainly often legally unenforceable because we have not given people the proper level of uh, autonomy to choose this or not. And that's what I think we have to do because it's not hard to understand. How many of you say, you know, I'm really ready to enter the covenant is all that I'm doing is I'm saying everything I got is at Jesus's disposal. At anything that I have at any point in time, a smile or a wink or a dollar or a, a minute or a time, whatever, I can, God's got it all. I, matter of fact, I'm here because I want him to use me. I'm not here spending time here because I want him to not use me, not here on earth or not in heaven when I get there. I hate to tell you, but heaven is not sitting on clouds with a bunch of angels. Heaven is about going and conquering other dimensions and going and being a powerful man of faith as you create and create and create, just like your father, God. And we have to learn how to do that. And it's the way we are being molded as individuals that teaches us how to do this. You see, what God is intending for us to do is become people who are truly motivated by covenant. We're not motivated by our culture, not motivated by youthful zeal or enthusiasm or fear or any of those things that may have driven us into this environment. God's allowing us a moment as we spend this last, this bit of these few months together to say, can we go back and revisit whether your heart really understood what you were doing in the first place? And which is probably the case for most of you. But then, how do I begin to walk it out in the day-to-day application of my life? You know, when Tina needs a light bulb changed, she doesn't call you. She call, well, she calls Aunt Alex now, but she, should, she would call me because I am her husband. It is my job to change the light bulb. Does that make sense? Right? What we want is we want God to call on us. That's what we're here for. I am in the covenant with Tina because I want to serve Tina's life. I want to serve her destiny. That's why I'm here. That's why she's here, because she wants to serve mine. When we're in a covenant, of course, it's easy for us to be able to say, I I want to use all of me to serve the person who I desperately love. I want to see them pleased. I want to see them happy. I want to see their dreams come true. That's how we're all living right now. It's just, do we really understand the dynamics of how to make it be, uh, how to tap all the juices out of the relationship, how to get the synergy that is, that will make it work so that the kingdom, as what he said to the rich young ruler, it is the entry into and functioning in the kingdom of God and the power of the kingdom of God that Jesus equated to this concept of aeonios zoe, which is 
this otherworldly kind of life, super powerful life that seems to not be affected by any natural force. He's saying that's what it looks like when you enter the kingdom. How many of you would say, if I was on that road, I would have said to Jesus, how might I have eternal life? That's what I want. That's what every human being wants. No human being was designed to live like an animal, scratching and scraping their way through life until they finally suck their last breath and die. Is, does anybody, even as I say that, find it appealing? Nobody does. Everybody feels that divinity, if you will, that higher calling on the inside because it is how you were created. It is what you in, were intended to be. And so from the treasure, the, 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 the parable Jesus had, now the treasure, man who found the treasure and the man who found the pearl, we're able to glean a bunch of information from these guys to begin to understand how do we actually make the trade because they made the trade. Amen. In the parable, they found the pearl and they sold it all and they bought the pearl. They found the field in which the treasure lay and they sold all and bought the field. Mm -hmm. So we can see from this parable, these people were able to do it. And so I assume that inside the parable, there is going to be the information that you and I would need in order to really make sure, am I, in fact, making the trade? Am I entering the agreement, if you will, of covenant with Almighty God? And so here, we first we have it now, what's motivating them? We have to look at, because nothing, remember in the New Testament, how many of you know God could coerce? He's strong enough, powerful enough to coerce you to do whatever. He could... He could create a mirage or deceive you, and he could get you to do pretty much anything, but he won't. Everything in the kingdom of God is willfully opted into. Everything. You know, the Lord was saying to me the other day, I, I told myself as I was preparing last night that I was definitely not going to say this today. <laughs> but you see, uh, uh, he's first. And so whenever I say that to the Lord, I am not saying that tomorrow. He's usually quite gracious when I say it. And then at moments like this, when I am vulnerable, he tells me to say it. You know, we've had some descriptions of hell. It's very interesting. You feel like you're falling all the time. You know, people describe to me, I haven't had a drink in... 30 years, alcohol in 30 years. Not that that's, I'm not boasting, I just don't want it. But people tell me that when you're full of alcohol, you feel like you're falling all the time. That's why you stumble. Perhaps when you have drugs or when you have these type of things. Do you know people do those kind of things because they want to? And so hell will not be an unusual place for them. They'll, they'll like that. Matter of fact, oftentimes people say to me, you know, you hang around with a bunch of goody-goodies all the time. They say, well, you definitely won't like heaven. Uh, because heaven is full of goody-goodies. <laughs> Much more goody-goody than I, believe me. Much more goody-goody than I. So we have to realize that God gives us the permission to choose. A lot of times the things we fall in love with here are not things that are there. Does that make sense? So we don't actually want to go there. 
we're demonstrating what we want when we make choices down here. And if we want all of the things that aren't of God, well, I guess get all you have while you're here because if you do go to heaven, you're not gonna have any of that there. But then why do you wanna go to heaven if you don't want that stuff? Do you see my problem? So God gives us this huge freedom in all the decisions that we make all the time to be able to choose whatever you want. I don't think hell will be bad for people who like that stuff here, is what I'm trying to say. Does that make some sense, everybody? And so we're really making, it's not, it's not like God is putting a line necessarily and saying judgment is gonna be starting here. I think judgment starts when we start to choose. And once we choose, we go the way that we wanna go and we get what's on the way that we go. And some people get, a, get more of what they don't want on this planet because they don't really realize the decisions that they're making in the choices that they're making. Does that make some sense? Just like what Jesus said to the rich young ruler, they're not talking about something that's going to happen in the sweet by and by. It's happening right now. And we want to be able to understand how do I get my life to begin to curve in the direction that's actually the things that are meaningful and valuable in life. And the faster we identify those things, you know, Joe was talking to me, you know, how Christmas is awesome because it's really time when you spend time with your family. Yes, presents, yes, cookies, more cookies and then a few more cookies, but it's really about family and time. To, you learn that stuff. So you make room for it. Does that make some sense? And the more you see it, the more you understand it, the more you make room for it, the more you choose it. That's what's happening throughout the rest of your life here and wherever you go from here. Does that make some sense, everybody? I don't know why I threw that in there because I really didn't want to, but. Okay, so the, 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 the pearl now, the treasure and the pearl, is that zero for a reason? Did I run out of time, really? I did. Oh, well. The... <laughs> So the, 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 the pearl, he found a pearl of great price. What's the motivation that is going on? Let's, if you look in that scripture, he says, the man was looking for pearls. He was a pearl guy. But he found a pearl, one pearl of great price. So what motivated him to be willing to sell all his other pearls in order to buy this one pearl. It's kind of in the term there that he was looking for pearls. That word looking is a word that refers to a very active search. Uh, it even would be, we would refer to it as an obsession. This person was obsessed with finding the pearl. This thing that was his, perhaps he would say it, this is my life's quest to find the greatest pearl. You know, we all feel like that, you and I. Inside of us has been placed a destiny, a purpose, a design of God. It is that thing that pushes you forward, that drives you to do the things that you're doing, even though they seem like they are not wise, perhaps. You know, the Lord said to us as a leadership team the other day, uh, he says, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's hard for a man to understand why he's obsessed to building a cart until he meets somebody with a horse. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to make a cart. All you have to do is drag it around for the rest of your life. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, why am I building this cart? And then one day, a man shows up with a horse mm. and it all makes sense. Yeah. 
The key of it was that you were driven to build the cart, just like another man was driven to raise a horse. Didn't know why he was doing that, didn't see its purpose, but there's something inbred in the inner, inner profound level of a human being that drives us towards the things that are part of our God destiny. We notice certain things. We don't notice other things. We gravitate towards it. We like this. We go that way. We choose. We, and it's kind of like this weird path that seems to be governed by somebody's GPS, but just not ours. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know why I'm choosing this way. Kind of sounds like an obsession, doesn't it? It sounds like what this guy would be going through his life searching every time he walks by a, an antique pearl dealer, he pops his head in the door because this is where I might find it. He sees a, a seashore and he grabs his mask and snorkel because there may be clams down there and he's got to go and bust a few open to see if he can find. He's obsessed. That's how we are. And it's then that we find the way. There's a path. All of a sudden, it opens up in front of us. And we can see that going down that path, it makes sense in a weird kind of makes sense way. I don't know why it's that way. I, I know it's that way. That's what this guy is finding. This is the reference to the pearl of grace. The motivation that this guy had was that he found a way that he knew. You know it in a different place than just knowing it up here. You see, all of us notice things that we are here, that we were created to solve. You know, people say to me sometimes, you know, there's a piece of dirt on the floor over there. I says, yeah, that's good you noticed it. That means it's your job to pick it up. Amen. The other 14 people that wandered by it didn't notice it. Right, right. Uh, that's just telling me about you. You see, if you see suffering and lack and shortage and it drives you crazy, if you see pain, mental pain, emotional pain, physical pain, suffering, and it just irks you on the inside. Maybe you care about children. Maybe you care about teenagers. Maybe you care about old people. Maybe you care about whatever that you care about. It's all part of this package on the inside. But the problem that you have is that the seeing of something, the caring about something, isn't necessarily the ability to solve that thing, is it? Matter of fact, the knowing of it creates a burden. A burden that your inner being is desperate to solve. And the more you know about it, the more you feel it. Is that true? Yes. And so what's the pearl? It's the same. It's the obsession. Wow. It's the knowing wow. that if I go this way, down that road is the key to solving the thing, the burden that I feel. You, we, we go to the references to the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added to you. You live in a place of superabundance when we figure this kingdom thing out. If you, 
If I were to come to you and I would cast out a devil by the finger of God, then what do you know? You know that the kingdom has come near to you. If I go somewhere and I heal the sick, to preach the scripture, if you go preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing the sick, that when you see healing take place, you know what? The kingdom has come near to you. You see, this pearl is the knowledge that is on, that the light that is on the inside of you that says the destiny that has up until this point in your life been impossible. Your heart begins to pull you towards it saying, if you go this way, what has always been impossible is about to become inevitable. You can't see that, but your heart can see that. When I was driven to fall in love with this woman, these people, uh, these people, <laughs> sorry, didn't mean to conscript you. These are what my heart saw, right? My little, bit, my little Olivia, wherever she is. That's what my heart could see. I could only see her, my pearl, my treasure. My heart could see it all. You see that? Drawing me to it, drawing. I can't get her off my mind. I'm trying to get her off my mind. I can't get her off my mind. I'm madder than a hornet at her today. Can I just get her? I can't. It's not up here. Obsession is not up here. Obsession does not make sense. Hunting day after day for this pearl of great price, knowing that you can partner with Almighty God, where all things of Him become available to you and all things of you become available to Him. And your heart knows that's the way. That's the way. Put your hand over your heart and say, Lord, I'm so ready for my life in the kingdom of God. When life like Jesus had it <clears throat> is made available to me, the pearl of great price is made available to me and all it costs me is everything. All I need to do is offer in all that I have, honestly, knowing that I receive all that he has. And that that synergy, the combining of all of me with all of God, creates the environment, creates the path where the destiny, the reason, the pearl that has been planted in my heart can come to pass, where it can go from impossible to inevitable. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. That's it for 2018, yes. folks.
can I? Can I continue? We're gonna stay here until it actually turns to 2019. Can I? <laughs> we only have like 48 more hours. Can I? Well. Can I? I mean, I'm gonna keep this G-rated. Okay, so you're gonna have to work with my metaphors. Please, I can't handle it. Everybody knows. Do you know that what what a man gives to a woman to create a baby costs him nothing? Do you know what a woman gives to a man to create a baby costs her nothing? You, 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 throw, you throw that stuff away for years and years and years. Do you understand what I'm saying? The covenant is about giving to the other person that which costs you nothing to get that thing that is priceless. An egg to a husband is priceless. He cannot have children without the part that he does not have. Does that make sense? When we go to God, we think, I want all of this amazing stuff from God. But can I tell you something? Do you know what you're asking God for? You're asking him for asphalt. You're asking him for his opinion. You're asking him for his affection. These things cost God nothing. I was thinking this morning about when you put pavers, you know, the, the yes. what do you call those interlocking yes, bricks? Pavers. When you fit them in your driveway, you cut a bunch of the ends off, right? I'm up there in heaven asking God for the cut off pieces of his driveway. <laughs> the garbage, they cost God nothing. And we say, and so when we're asking God for what means something to us, it means nothing to him. Do you know what he's asking us for? He's asking us for a smile. He's asking us to care. He's asking us to serve his kingdom, do things that are gonna be good for us anyways. They cost us nothing, but we get everything and it costs us nothing. Think about God gets everything and it costs him nothing. In the moment when Just Abraham in, That's played. already been done. Prices, Alex, Alex, get up here. I, what? It's, the price has been paid. It's already over. It's, the, the price is already set. <laughs> what, are you, what are you calling him for? Because was, he was going to come up and say, the price is already paid. He's oh. already paid. Sorry. <laughs> and, and what Jessica's referring to here is marvel at the environment that God has created. Where we come into this relationship giving what costs us nothing and receiving the thing that is priceless. And we're both doing that. God is doing that and I am doing that. And the environment, the synergy of that environment now creates the kingdom of God on earth that sets everything in God's order here. And it cost us nothing except the willingness to pay everything.